Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. That's our boy, Put Out the Cheese. Welcome to For Your Inflammation, a podcast for good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We are your hosts, John. And Zach. Alright, Zach, so it's March, and March is the month of March Madness, and we are doing our own special version of March Madness this year, aren't we? Yep, uh, it has nothing to do with basketball, it has nothing to do with brackets, it has everything to do with, let's, let's flip the tables, let's flip everything on its head. It's March, it's kind of a blah month, other than St. Patrick's Day, which, uh, is a pretty good holiday, especially if you like this podcast and you like booze. Uh, St. Patrick's Day is probably one of your favorite holidays, it's just an excuse to get fucked up on a Wednesday, or the weekend after, usually the weekend after, I'm not a big, uh, drinking on the weekdays kind of guy. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, I think a lot of these holidays that get blown up into, like, drinking holidays, they never occur at good times for me, like, St. Patrick's Day, I think I've had, like, one, maybe two good St. Patrick's Days as an adult. And Cinco de Mayo, I think I've missed out on completely. Like, I have not gone and gotten a frozen mark and worn an inappropriate hat and eaten an irresponsible amount of corn chips. Like, ever, as an adult. Aw, dude. Aw, dude. Cinco de Drinco is the best one, man. And you could do it at home. Like, you just gotta go get some tequila and some lime. And, like, you know, if you've got a blender at home, guess what? You have a margarita machine. Good job. I mean, you didn't have to tell me twice. These are literally just things that I have on the daily in my house. And if you don't have a blender and you're an adult, get one. You can get one for like 20 bucks at Walmart. Really like, though. And not only not only for like alcohol reasons, like you can also make like smoothies, you can make like, you know, breakfast shit with it. You can make frappuccinos if you're into that. Yeah, dude. Um so and also like if you're cooking and like you know, you got to get some uh some minced like uh freshly ground seasonings you can use your blender for that it's not gonna do it great like a like a seasoning blender would but you know you you can do it so getting like a little twenty dollar blender that like you don't give a fuck about if you fuck it up from walmart great deal do it do it every time yeah i find that going to like thrift shops is a great way to get these types of appliances um blenders in particular Mm -mm. people tend to get rid of i don't know why or at the very least they make some fun stick blenders Mm -mm. now that come with different attachments have like a food processor thing that you stick the blender inside of and it works like a food processor or it's got the wand attachment you stick that into like a pot and just blend the stuff in the pot like there's a bunch of stuff you can do none of this has anything to do with the movie yeah and just so you know um i'm totally 100 not for rehoming things like that like cups bowls blenders like shit like that that other people put shit in i'm not for it because i don't know what they did with it and if they're giving it to goodwill or to like a thrift shop probably nothing good happened in there someone probably put their balls all over it and they may not have but i can't know that they didn't so i won't buy it anyway like you said nothing to do with what we're talking about what we are talking about is our little version of march madness which is uh john is picking movies that i've never seen and i am going to tell him how i feel about it john has completely made up this 
this whole month, the whole criteria for this month, and I just have to kind of go along with it. Um, and also, to go on top of that, I am making the cocktails this month. Oh, yeah. So get ready for a bunch of, uh, it's a bottle of Jameson. Drink it, fucko. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're, we're doing a little flip uh, The turns have tabled, the tables have turned. And so I am bringing in the film knowledge, and Zach is going to bring in the alcohol knowledge. And we're going to see what we can do with this. So, uh, Zach, don't you have something that's just burning on the inside? Something that's been ripping you absolutely apart since yesterday. Yes. Um, so, yesterday, I went out on a nice little double date uh, with a friend from work and his his girl and uh, my fiance. And we went to, like, this little uh, restaurant called Mar- Molly Pitchers in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, they have, like, uh, their own brewskis. They have, like, a nice little wine selection. You know, the fiancé got a nice little wine thing. I got a nice IPA. Um, and, you know, they had, like, you know, some tater tots and shit. And then the main the main event of this double date was going to see The Invisible Man. Yeah. A movie that we talked about back in the Wizard of Oz episode where me and John watched the trailer and kind of talked about how we thought the movie would do. And, you know, I was kind of on the meh side of it. I was like, I don't think this is going to be very good, especially considering it's like a, you know, late February release. This is usually not a great time to go to the movies. This is kind of where they try and, you know, give you their bullshit that they know is not going to be good. But, you know, like, you know, it might be better than what the other studio's bullshit is. So, you know, it's kind of like a little little back and forth. Like, he usually gets some pretty shitty horror movies right. in this time for whatever reason. Yeah, it's like in between um, Oscar season, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Oscar season officially starts this month. So they're trying to not put out their best material. They're trying to put it out, like, a little bit further along so that the Academy fucking remembers what they're talking about. Because if you'll notice, that's kind of how it works. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Like, movies that are Pepperidge Farm Um, But, so, the movies that get released later in the year get remembered better, and they usually win. So, all that being said, I went to go see The Invisible Man because I actually heard, like, quite a good, quite a bit of good hype around it. Okay. And, and, you know, so my, my interest was piqued because I was like, oh, I didn't really expect anything much from this movie. Um, Elizabeth Moss is a brilliant actress. So I thought, you know what? Let's go try it out. You know, my uh, friend from work, he's a bit of a cinephile himself. Mm-hmm. Not illegal. So we, just, just for the record. Not illegal. It is not illegal to be a cinephile. Very common in Hollywood, though, sound. like many other file types. Jesus Christ. Anyway, so we go see the movie and came out of it and the immediate my immediate thought was i was wrong hmm. and i wanted to let you guys know that invisible man um i i would give it a solid 7.5 out of 10 oh that's um, pretty it was high very, yeah i mean like it wasn't the best movie i've ever seen ever but it wasn't bad it was definitely very um i, I don't want to say enjoyable um and and that's that's that leads me to my next thing about this movie is um it's a it's a very hesitant recommend because um I do have to say, if you have, like, any, like, high anxiety and, like, you know, stressful situations, even in movies, can stress you out, this is not the movie for you. It is, it is incredibly stressful. And honestly, um, it had me on the edge of my seat for once. Like, horror movies usually don't really scare me that much. 
But this one actually kind of had me on the edge of my seat because the whole thing is like what's scary about it is what you can't see. Mm. So the whole movie, like you, you'll see like little things moving and like you're so anxious, like looking at these like long shots on like characters and like looking at the background to see if you see anything moving. Mm-hmm. And when you do see something move, it scares the fuck out of you. And honestly, that that is like a childhood fear that I've never been able to like, you know, get rid of is like you know it, it's dark you're in your house you you know you're like locking up like you turn all the lights off and everything and like you just feel like something's watching you I, i've never been able to kick that fear hmm. ever in my life yeah yeah that's and kind of a deep so, running so, fear for a lot of people i think uh it's relatable right yeah i think it's i think a lot of people have that problem i i refuse to believe that it's just me but yeah so that's the movie was very effective it, it was definitely very on the edge of your seat um there are a couple of key scenes that are very very well done and i don't want to ruin anything for anyone um john if you end up watching the movie uh, maybe we can talk about it later mm-hmm. once uh, more people have seen it but there are a few key scenes in here that just i mean honestly some of them were shocking like i i didn't see it coming and I think that's the one thing I could give the movie is that it was definitely ahead of me. I was never at any point ahead of this movie. Well, that's a first. I know sometimes, like, for me in music, you know, having studied music for so long and been into music for so long, it nothing really surprises me anymore with music. So when someone's like, oh, it's this new thing, it's so great, I was to him, like, yeah, 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 chord, 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 subdominant, like, submediate, whatever, like, okay, yeah, I get it, like, it's a thing, like, this has been done before, it's just being repackaged and maybe the words are different, and I imagine this is kind mm-hmm. of the way that some people feel about film, so how refreshing is that for you? It's super refreshing because, like, it truly allows you to, especially in a horror movie, it allows you to be shocked, like, it allows you to, like, you know, actually feel something. And, you know, I think dramas and, like, comedies have a lot better use of that. Like, not... Like, if you don't know where it's going, it kind of, like, gives you a better euphoria at the end of the film. Especially if it's, like, kind of a euphoric ending. Mm -hmm. Which this one has a very complicated ending. And it's, uh, to a better or worse degree. I mean, it, it probably truly depends on the viewer. Me, I thought it was a little complicated, and it le- it leaves you with some complicated feelings. Alright, well, uh, speaking of complicated endings, Zach, why don't we go ahead and dive into this week's movie, uh, A Boy and His Dog, 1975. Jesus Christ, this movie. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's not something that we would normally do on the podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of these kind of, like fringe films from the 70s even like as far back as like the mid the late 60s but really the 70s kind of had a sweet spot in the early 80s and um i'm also into like apocalyptic film as well like dystopia type stuff so this scratches an itch for me despite some of the more disturbing content uh and i have always had a soft spot for this movie um what about you like on a scale of one to ten like how likely would you be to watch this of your own accord um so the concept is decent like it definitely has a lot of um things in it that uh, i found interesting if i were to watch it on my own accord um honestly this would have to be recommended to me for me to even like really give it a chance because there's so many movies that i want to watch that this would kind of be on the back burner i'm not a big uh dystopian society 
kind of person. You know, I, I think that that genre has said all that it could say. And, you know, it, it yeah, the world will probably end up like this at some point. Like, okay, we get it. You know what I mean? And so that's where I come from with it. So I guess probably a light five. Like, if I had heard of this movie before you uh, made, you subjected me to right. it, I, I don't know if I would have been as inclined to watch it because this is not a particular genre that I get super into. Well, why is that? Is that truly just because you're kind of bored with the idea of apocalyptic film or that, like you said, it's kind of said all it's got to say? That That's that's exactly what I mean. It's like, I'm super bored with it. Like, um, I still have not watched those fucking Hunger Games movies. Like, I've not watched a single one and it's because I don't give a shit. I'm done. You know what? Like, the road has been made. Like, the road is probably the, for me, the road is the end-all, be-all, like, post-apocalyptic novel or film like it's 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 so realistic it has so much to say about like a post-apocalyptic society that i think that that one and maybe uh children of men if i was gonna watch a post-apocalyptic thing it would be that but other than that i'm kind of done with it huh interesting i'd rather i'd rather i'd rather watch shit where like monsters fuck with people (laughs) <laughs> okay, well... I, I'd much rather watch that. Depending on how you're using the word monster and how you're using the word fuck with, I, I think this could check some of those boxes. It, it definitely does. I mean, it it is an interesting movie, if not um, very dated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a time and place thing. Like, this is a 70s movie, for sure. Yeah, and it just... If you haven't watched this movie and you plan on watching it to listen to the podcast, um, first of all, it's on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, it is uh, free to you. Uh, if not, you you know you're gonna have to either pay for the Blu-ray or pay for the uh, you know rental on YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, before you watch it, just know that uh, it that there. <laughs> it's a little triggering. I, I don't know how. To, it's a little triggering. Um, some of the language and some of the. Uh, particularly some of the racial language and some of the um language towards women in this movie is very interesting and uh the definite like objectification of women in this movie was kind of baffling right (laughs) from from it from a modern standpoint however it is it is from 1975 so you know you kind of have to you know, take a little here, take a little there, like, okay, all right. Yeah, I think uh, also depending on how deep you're willing to analyze the film and how much you want to get your toes in it, like, there are artistic reasons why they do what they do. Uh, This is based on a novel, which, of course, we'll touch on later, but um, it is commentative on the way things were going, are going, the trajectory of things as they stood at the time. And, of course, this is, like, peak Cold War. So it's, um, like we said before, it's a very time and place thing. I don't know. Like, I kind of like it because there's no good guy in this movie. Like, even, like, our main protagonist is not a good guy. No. And you get that, like, right off the bat. So you would and say... And it doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like anybody on the surface world is, like, a good person either. But then when you go underneath and you see, like, the people that are, like, happy, cheery, like, Americana, you know, very, like, Christian-based, or so they say, they are also not good people. No. So it's kind of like, wow... And I, I mean, I guess it's the same now. Like, I mean, like, is any person a good person? That's the question. like. That's kind of what I. That's kind of what I took from this, is that like, especially 
you know, in a situation where, you know, all society is gone, like, does anybody have a reason to be a good moral person? Right, and these are some deeper questions that I think we'll be able to get a little bit more out of as we dig into the film. So, to wrap up, 5 out of 10, would watch if recommended? Um, would watch if highly recommended, and probably with someone. So, like, let's say you and I didn't do this podcast, and you were like, dude, have you ever seen this movie? Nope. All right, let's throw it on. Cool. It would have to be one of those. This would not be a, ooh, I got to get my hands on this. Right, right. Uh, speaking of something that I do need to get my hands on, though, uh, I understand you've made a cocktail. Correct. I have made a... Uh, now, this is, my, this is my first time, so y'all be nice to me. Ooh, be, be um, the soft-up Pinocchio to my booze-soaked Geppetto. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, now I feel attacked. I've created um, a boy. Okay. You've created... I've created a boy. Um, <laughs> all right, the boy will give you the cocktail now. Okay, so I've never created a uh, signature cocktail for any particular reason. You know, I'm usually a very, like, meat and potatoes kind of guy when it comes to cocktails. So, like, you know, Jack and Coke or just Jack, but not Jack, never Jack, right. always James. Always Jameson. Jameson is way better. Or, you know, like, maybe, like, a like a Long Island every once in a while, or a hurricane, or as it's known colloquially in the Atlanta area, a blue motherfucker. Those, that's kind of more my thing. Like, you know, have a beer, have a little thing of, uh, you know, Jameson, have another beer, have a little more Jameson. That's my kind of night. Like, I am not a big cocktail person. Oh, breaking what news What I do here. like to... Breaking news. Like, I'll have a cocktail. It's not like I'm, like, anti-cocktail, but I usually don't make them for myself. Okay. Which which has changed a little bit more since we started doing this podcast. But what I do like to do is cook. And particularly what I like to do is desserts. So, I've, so for this first cocktail, I kind of tried to, you know, just dip my toes in the water, maybe do something that I would have normally done anyway... And so I've come up with a cocktail called Take Him to the Farm. Because at first, it seems nice. It seems like a nice thing to do, like take him to the farm. But then just like this movie, it gets real dark real quick. Yeah. Okay, so I've actually come up with uh, a couple of variants on this cocktail. Ooh, some so mutations, you if you will. Mutations, because as I was doing it, I was like, well, why wouldn't I do it this way? Hmm, do, 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 do. Okay, so first of all, the ingredients you're going to need, and this is for all three different variations, you're going to need Jameson, and uh, however much you want. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to measure your alcoholism. Uh, you need vanilla ice cream, Coke or Coke Zero, whichever one you want. Do not do a flavored Coke, just do a regular Coke or Coke Zero. Uh, you need some caramel syrup and some caramel popcorn to garnish, and as an option... You need you will need some nitro cold brew coffee. Ooh. Okay, so let's talk the basic and I think you guys might kinda know where I'm going with this already. And I refuse to let you be ahead. So this is going to pretty much be a Jameson Coke float. I like it. I like that a lot. Alright, so what you're gonna want to do is put at least two to three scoops of ice cream into the cup you don't want to put the jameson or the coke in there before you put the ice cream in there because it's going to get messy as fuck otherwise so about two to three scoops of ice cream is probably good you're gonna and then you're gonna take your one to two shots of jameson throw those in there on top of the ice cream then 
take a can of Coke or a bottle of Coke, whatever you got. I prefer canned. I think canned tastes better. I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why. Maybe it's the metallic taste. I have no idea. But anywho, and then you pour that to displace it until the ice cream comes to the top of the glass. So I don't have an exact measurement for that. I can't tell you what kind of cup you're going to put it in. I would suggest a taller, thicker glass. But anyway, I digress. Okay, okay. So I, once, I like where this is going. So, so once the ice cream hits the top of the glass, you're going to want to hit it with some, uh, you know, very Starbucks-style caramel drizzle on top. This is where the syrup comes in. Uh, hopefully you bought it in, like, a squirt bottle or, like, a little ketchup bottle. I prefer putting them into ketchup-style bottles because you can kind of get fancy with it. And then around it, you're going to put some caramel popcorn to garnish, put a straw right in the middle of that thing, and enjoy. I am proud of you, Zach. This is a really cool idea, and I'm really interested to try it. Yeah, it's definitely very good. Now, while I was doing this, I thought, well, this is cool and all, but, you know, like, if you're sitting there sipping on it like you would a normal cocktail, like you're not drinking it all at one time, like you would, like, a Coke float... You know, you might need something a little that's going to last a little bit longer so that the ice cream's not running down the sides. So this is where your blender comes in. Mm. You're going to get your blender. You're going to put at least a cup of ice cream in there. Once again, however much Jameson you want. I would say probably about one and a half shots to each cup of ice cream is probably going to do you good. So if you're doing three shots, I would put at least like four or five scoops of ice cream in there. And then you're going to put some caramel drizzle down in there because what you have to remember is you're about to put Jameson and Coke in there. So you need something for the liquid to, you know, like solidify and like come around because otherwise you're just going to end up with like Jameson Coke milk mm -hmm. and you don't want that. I love it. I love Jameson Coke milk. That, that's my favorite thing in the entire world now. <laughs> Jameson Coke milk. Uh, it's kind of like the blue milk at Disney World right now. <laughs> But anyway, there I go again. There I go again, inserting Disney in here. Um, so, and then you're also going to throw some of that caramel popcorn into there for a little bit more structure, a little bit of crunch into this uh, pretty much milkshake that you're making. And then, like I said, pour about a can of Coke in there. Like, because you got a lot of ice cream in there, and you're pretty much using the Coke and the Jameson instead of like a, uh, like a milk fat uh, thing that you kind of put in milkshakes to make them, you know, actual liquid. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have a lot of the structure there so that it doesn't, you know, fall apart and just become liquid. It's like you want it to be that frothy, like, milkshake texture. So there's that. You know, you blend it for however long it takes. You know, you can add in more caramel popcorn. You can add in more caramel drizzle. You can add in more ice cream to make it to your liking if you like a thicker milkshake, if you like kind of more like a you know, almost melted milkshake, which you're a fucking monster. Mm. And so there you go. And you could top with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, more um, caramel popcorn, if that's your thing. If not, I don't like the frou-frou shit on top. I just think it looks nice. Um, and then the last variant that I found that works actually pretty well, and uh, you guys let me know how you feel about it, is uh, replace the Coke with nitro cold brew coffee. This is an idea and that I'm very excited about. This gives you more of like a, uh, maybe if you're going to go on a bender for a day or if you know you're going to have like a lazy Sunday, you're not going to go anywhere, house is clean, fucking, you know, the groceries are done, you got, you ain't got shit to do. This would be a great way to start your morning. 
But please don't, <laughs> please don't do this on a work day. It's not going to work out well for you. No, no. And you know, I know, I know a lot of people, you know, are very like, we're starting to come down hard on like, you know, mixing caffeine with alcohol. Like that's a very like college thing to do. But I mean, I don't know, like every once in a while, it's nice, especially if you get like a, like a natural cold brew. It's very, very nice. Oh, definitely. And you know, if you like that, if you like that coffee flavor, the Jameson's going to go well with it. Um, I also found like maybe throwing in a little bit of Bailey's might help you. I could agree. Because, you know, it, it might it might cut down that uh, harsh flavor from the liquor. Because Jameson is pretty harsh. Um, I'm pretty used to it by this point. I love Jameson. So it doesn't bother me, but it might bother you or your guests. So if you're going to do this uh, coffee variant, I would put a little bit of Bailey's in there. Agreed. Um, I like your idea of not having this in the morning because I feel like it's a lose-lose for you to show up with uh like a bailey's drink or like a like a jameson drink in the morning people are going to judge you for that but if they don't realize what's going on and you just show up with a milkshake instead i feel like you're still going to get some judgment for that at like 9 a.m oh hell yeah i mean don't show up to work with any of this yeah i mean unless it's like a unless it's like a christmas party this might be a good like you know christmas party or like a uh, or maybe more like a summer this might be a summer cocktail i can still get into this I, I mean i don't i don't know if you could even necessarily classify it as a cocktail it's more of a it's more of a milkshake than anything or if you're doing like just the jameson coke float version it's more of a uh, deconstructed milkshake i'm into it i'm into it so we've got three versions of this cocktail uh we've got the float we've got the um the frappe and then we've got the uh the milkshake mm -hmm. with uh nitro cold brew exactly and it's it's pretty good like it's it's definitely like something you could probably make without the jameson but i mean come on yeah of course come on just just do just do the jack and coke float like and honestly i i've never really heard of anyone doing that before so i thought it would be interesting to try and see and i was like maybe there's a reason no one ever does this hey. and uh there's not there's absolutely no reason to not do this i know you got some sort of whiskey i know you got coke and i know you got some vanilla ice cream at home so there's no reason to not try this one this is one more excuse for me to put jameson back on my home bar you, if you don't have Jameson on your home bar, I'm going to come out to California and slap you on the nose with a newspaper because you fucking deserve it. Uh, you know, I love Jameson. I really love Jameson. I like Knob Creek, too. Knob Creek is good. At least you didn't say, like, fucking, like, Old Crow or some shit like that because then I would have to then I would have to revoke your card. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm good on the Old Crow. Like, if it's all there is, I'm down. And if it's uh, not all there is, I'm still down but slightly less likely to pick it. <laughs> I'd rather have Seagram 7 before I would like to have Old Crow. I like where you're going with that. Um, Good job. I like this. I'm excited to try this. Yeah, please do. Like, let me know how you feel about it. Um, You may or may not like it. And of course, as I said, everything in that is optional. You know, I, did, I just, I like making things look pretty and like purposeful. We're playing it fast and loose with this one. You choose the amount of Baileys. You choose your fate. Uh, let's get back to the movie. Um, so, A Boy and His Dog, released March 15th, 1975. It was uh, directed by L.Q. Jones. Uh, screenplay was also written by L.Q. Jones and is based on the novel of the same name by Harlan Ellison, which was released in 1969. Um, Harlan Ellison actually tried to write the script for this movie, and he got about halfway through, and then LQ came through and uh, finished it up for him. Interesting. I actually didn't know that. So, um, there's like a six-year gap between the book and the movie. 
Um, I, I guess nuclear fiction was something that we were really into at the time. Yeah, it, it's definitely like a very subgenre-y thing in the 70s. Um, definitely what uh, Warhammer 40,000 was born out of. Um, this movie in particular definitely felt like there should be some sort of tabletop game based upon it. Oh, yeah, and we'll touch on like the pop culture implications of this later. I mean, the Fallout game series... Um the Mad Max series like there's a bunch of stuff that this has its fingers in and um I am kind of surprised yeah. that there was <laughs> but <laughs> context it's all about context but um phrasing <laughs> oh god alright so this movie stars Don Johnson as Vic you might know Don Johnson from Miami Vice as James Sonny Crockett, and he was also most recently in Django Unchained from 2012. Yeah, long spanning uh, career. Yeah, he's definitely a very big character actor. Like you can you, you what if you watch this movie, you will see him in other movies like pop up, and you're like, hey, that's Vic. Uh, this movie also stars Tim McIntyre as Blood, right? The dog. Uh, the dog. The dog. Uh, he all. He also sings the uh, the uh, title song, A Boy and His Dog, and I keep getting, like, the one part stuck in my head. It's like, a boy and his dog could go fishing. I don't know why. It's been on a loop in my head ever since. It's not a good song. No. It's not a great song. No, but if you listen to just but, that song and then watch this movie, you'd be like, oh, God, what went horribly wrong? It did. It definitely did. Um, and then also Susan Benton as Quilla June Holmes. Uh, she was also in a film called The Last Horror Film from 1982. Yeah, a lot of the movies that she was in were uh, really in and around the 70s and uh, were verging on, like, exploitative film. I wouldn't call her a grindhouse actress, but uh, she definitely had a foot in that side of the aisle. Yeah, she definitely, like, the 70s, some films, like, really teeter in between, like, softcore porn films. Mm -hmm. And uh, this movie kind of does that a little bit. Right. It's got and, one I mean, foot, like, again, on that side of the aisle. Yeah, and she does a really good job in this movie, though, especially, like, towards the latter half of the film, when you see how diabolical she actually is. Oh, yeah. It actually gives her depth. So I was like, okay, I mean, I don't know why I had to see, like, her whole tits and ass, but, I mean, I guess, you know... I guess you take what you can get in the 70s. Like, she definitely had an actual character. And I guess she would be as close to, like, a central villain in the film as you get. Even though, like I said before, there's not really any, like, heroes or villains in this movie. They're all kind of just bad. Like, everybody's a bad person. Yeah, that is one thing I liked about this movie. Uh, how dynamic she is. Um, we we kind of see a little bit of a dynamic kind of character progression in Vic and Blood both. But I think what we see of her come out through the film is probably the most interesting thing that any character actually does right and it it's definitely yeah what you said right yeah <laughs> you know we go from like finding love in the apocalypse to literally like milk and cum like a like a cow from a man which can we talk about that for a minute like how were they doing that because it looked like they were like getting it through vials and i don't think that's how semen works like it looked like they had like a like pretty much like a like a syringe like a thing that they would use to like take blood out and i guess they had it attached to his balls this is kind of what they were insinuating I'm, I'm thinking and i don't think that i i don't think that's how that works yeah i'm thinking it's like some kind of catheter device i i, I don't really know i i don't really 
I don't like to think about it too much. And maybe they do us a favor there by like not trying to make it work, just kind of leaving it up to your imagination on how they're extracting the cum, like, short gray alien style. Yeah, because it's almost like, are they... Is there, like, a machine under there jerking him off? Like, because that's kind of how semen works. Like, the the action kind of has to come first. Right, right. So, I don't don't know how that works. I don't care to know how that works. Um, I'm just giving you uh, basic biology right now. So, hey, look at that. You learned something. We will touch on it. We will... We will touch on it. Phrasing. (laughs) Phrasing. Phrasing! Phrasing. The movie was filmed on location in the Mojave Desert and Pacific Ocean Park in Venice, California. Um, Pacific Ocean Park is actually kind of an interesting, like, little point in California history. It was, like, kind of like a mix between SeaWorld and Epcot, and it was designed to compete with Mm. Disneyland in Anaheim. Which, there's no competing with Disneyland. Like, I I think think even Universal Studios has learned this over time. Right, and uh, they just kind of got edged out over time, and they are no longer around. But it's interesting to look back at the pictures of it, because it's very very um i i don't want to sound like pretentious and i don't even know if this is a real thing but like post mid-century kind of vibes going on like it it's a very 70s 80s looking thing right it it, like almost like a uh like a town carnival maybe yeah yeah it's got some of those vibes going on and uh venice is a fascinating place today uh if you go there uh venice beach in particular uh it's fascinating uh there's a lot of people living in beach public bathrooms oh goody just like uh woodruff park in the middle of downtown it's like that except smellier and saltier and uh ooh, mm. yeah there's a lot there's a lot going on there um <laughs> the voice of blood actually uh required like 600 plus auditions before they actually settled on tim mcintyre um he also appears as the town guard in the beginning of the film like that one part where like uh he's got the gun and then vic's like move my gun around and he's like we don't want any trouble here like that guy that's him that, that's him really yeah. i didn't know that that's cool yeah so he's got his hands all over this thing yeah it seemed i mean it seemed like he was having a good time he was like uh definitely down for this movie uh that was another thing i noticed though like um whenever blood is talking I don't know how the fuck they recorded his voice, but it sounds god-awful. Yeah, um, I don't know if it was... Like, definitely, (laughs) definitely two thumbs down. Like, it sounds like he's, like, recording it, like, inside of a trash can. Which, for this movie, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think everybody is doing stuff inside of trash cans. Like, that's just kind of the way that it goes in the apocalypse, you know, the nuclear wasteland. Trash can can be a home. Oscar the Grouch taught us that um this is why they call it the trash can and not the trash can that that's my life first like you know how how like super christian people always say they have a life first that's my life first i like it thanks oscar trash can not trash can um yep exactly like you can live in a trash can that's fine thanks sesame streets Oh, God. Anyway. Yeah, so let's talk about the reception of the film. So um, it kind of had mixed reviews on release, and it wasn't a commercial success. Um, Believe it or not, Roger Ebert gave it a surprising two and a half out of four stars, um, saying that it was odd and it kind of defied filming, and it's like like a wacky success is what he said about it. Like, not a bad movie makes you think but like weird you know uh, other people criticize it for being like crude and kind of disjointed like looking at the different parts of the film it doesn't look like the same movie in different parts of the film and i see how that could be distracting for a viewer the film is definitely can be broken up into three sections or maybe even four because like the main set pieces are that opening the um 
the scene at the little like i guess uh trading post or whatever where they're watching like the porno movie mm -hmm. um the un the scene where him and quilla june are like you know getting it on and then the underground and then the finale which the finale is uh we need to talk about that and i'm sure we will um it's remembered as a cult favorite and uh, a noteworthy sci-fi film it, it usually makes its way into like top 100 sci-fi films of all time yeah i could see that i mean it definitely didn't do it for me like i didn't hate the movie but i didn't love it either it's definitely like a, uh, huh, well, I guess I kind of get a few references to things that I didn't get before. Right, and it's got a lot of those little moments where you don't really, like, think too much about it until you're looking at it and you're like, okay, okay, I, I see that. Yeah, like, this is all very familiar. Very familiar. Speaking of familiar... Uh, and the familia. Uh, we gotta get our little buddy, our um, familiar in here, if you will, if John and I were witches. Uh, Frank Synopsis needs to tell us about this movie and give us kind of like a plot summary for people who are absolutely fucking lost at this point. <laughs> Frank, are you there, Frank? Oh, I'm always here somewhere. And uh, Zach, oh, God. Uh, I think it's time we had a little talk. Why did you come from under the table? I am living there now. I'm like a human hermit crab. Uh, you, you spilt a trash can over, and I'm kind of backing into it to protect my aft end where I can't actually see. Are you like a fucking hermit crab? That is what I meant what? by hermit crab. Oh, okay, God damn it! All right. So what did you want to talk to me about, Frank? What What is it? What could you possibly have wrong? Well, I know that uh, the podcasters union is... Uh, not as powerful as they once were, but uh, I, I think we need to talk a little bit about pay. I, I saw a boy and his dog, and I saw them barter with a can of beets or peaches or whatever, and I think it's high time that I start getting paid in canned peaches. You want canned peaches instead of the two fifty we give you for bus fare? Uh, maybe some of one, some of the other. Some people want stock options, and uh, Frank Synopsis wants some peaches. All right, Frank. I guess you're right. You have been you've been a quite regular on this thing, uh, despite my writing to the boys in corporate, but this week I will be writing to them to say that Frank should get a raise to $3 per episode and a canned food item of any sort. So, does that sound good? Are these contract negotiations over? I think that we can strike a deal. Alrighty, uh, just sign here and I will give this to Jeanette and she will get it to the boys in corporate. Alright, let me get my pen real quick. There you go. Um, oh god, that is a lot of blood coming from your penis. I am, I am shocked and amazed. This is a very nice signature. Anyway, so, with your new raise in hand, Frank, tell me the story of a boy and his dog. Alright, alright. World War IV lasted only five days. Unlike Betty White, who was a respectable 53 years old. Vic, an 18-year-old apocalypse native, and his telepathic dog, Blood, dodge bandits and mutants in the American Southwest in their search for food and carnal pleasure. Their search leads Vic to a girl named Quilla June Holmes, who delivers him into the hands of the Council of an underground community known as Topeka. Vic escapes after learning their intentions for him, and is forced to choose between his best friend, Blood, and the only love he's ever known. Beautiful. Very succinct. Very nice. This is why we gave you a raise, Frank. Uh, let's shake our hands on this deal you make with the goods. And uh, here's a can of hoo hash. Have fun. Hoo hash? Uh, I think that's left over. Hoo hash. I'll take what I can get. I'll see you later. <laughs> All right. I'll see you later, Frank. Enjoy. All right, John, if you'll come back into the booth. Sorry. Sorry about this, everybody. John and Frank can never be in the same room at the same time because we only have two microphones. Um, I don't know what's on the seat, but uh, I don't like it very much. It's kind of sticky. You know what? I think you deserve to sit in a pile of penis blood because you made me watch this movie. Uh, can I get like a towel at least? Yeah, sure. You can get a All towel. All right, cool. Uh, you. <laughs> All right. 
So, John, I'm going to let you take it from here. What exactly do you want to talk about with this movie? Well, there is a lot to talk about. Um, Like you said before, there are distinct, like, quote-unquote acts to the film. So, like, the opening part's kind of, like, expository, and it shows, like, the nuclear wasteland that is left over after the world's kind of been destroyed. Um, It takes place in the southwestern United States, and, like, if you go there, like, if you drive through Arizona, it just kind of looks this way, like, now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely the Mojave it Desert. It is, yeah. It, it's it's a desert for sure. And um, it's kind of interesting how they have it set up and like the attention to detail that they go to. Like when they go and they dig up buildings from the dirt, like they are truly just like the gymnasium and like some kind of like house that like they like I guess probe into the ground to find the stuff that's been buried by the dirt. It's very telling, uh, like how much people were thinking about the apocalypse and about the Cold War tensions that existed at the time. Yeah, it seems like people were trying to uh, prep for this. Uh, people are still trying to prep for this. Yeah, yeah, pe- people have um, never stopped. It's, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't want to say that something like this would ever actually exist or actually happen because it's horrible and you don't want it to happen ever. But in that time, it was definitely very scary. Like, you know, nuclear war could break out at any moment. Uh, and also, according to this film, uh, apparently every single kennedy relative ends up being a president yeah they do have several Uh kennedys uh it's funny because if they look into the book uh, i didn't read it but i did a little bit of research on it this takes place in an alternate timeline where the jfk assassination was a failure and so the series of events led to world war three and then after world war three there was world war four that was the war that just lasted a few days and everybody got destroyed Right, and there's only, like, a few survivors left. And they're in Phoenix, Arizona, for whatever reason. Yeah, um, I guess maybe there's just not a major city around there. Maybe something about the way the geography moves the, like, radiation or the fallout somewhere else. I don't know. I'm not, like, a scientist. I mean, there were other movies like this, though. Uh, The Hills Have Eyes came out, like, two years afterward, and uh, Mad Max came out in 79. Mad Max being, like, kind of inspired by this film. I thought it was really interesting how... In the beginning of the film, he steals those cans of food from them just digging up another one of those, like, buildings under the dirt or something. That cart that they're pulling around has, like, the guitar guy on it and, like, all that stuff. These are all tropes that you can see in all of the Mad Max films. Even Mad Max Fury Road, like, the newest one. Yeah, it, it definitely gave me Mad Max vibes. Um, there was also, like, something that I found interesting um, in the underground section in Topeka. Yeah. Topeka. 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 That's fun. Topeka. That's fun to say. It is hot in Topeka. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the face paint that some of the characters have in there, like with the white face paint and the rosy cheeks, uh-huh. uh, if anyone's played the game We Happy Few, uh, that is how everyone looks in We Happy Few. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess they got it from there. That's cool. Yeah, um, I wonder if there's any inspiration for like Captain Spaulding that came out of this. Oh, I definitely could see yeah, that. Yeah, this seems like definitely a Rob Zombie sure. favorite kind of movie. We'll have to ask him. We'll, we'll have him on the podcast. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll send him an invite. Uh, or maybe we could, like, frame it as a court summons. <laughs> have him come to court. It's like, all right, Mr. Zombie, we are going to make it so that you cannot make any more films and let you come on our podcast. Yep. His lawyers are we way better than anything no- we could come up with, I'm sure. 
Oh, for sure. He has to have great lawyers. I mean, he was an alternative rock artist in the 90s, so I'm sure he was getting blamed for kids shooting other kids, like, every other day. Anyway, that's not what we're talking no, about. No, well, I mean, it happens <laughs> in the movie, but... Oh, yeah, kids shooting kids, uh, people shooting kids into other people. Yeah. You know, it's what happens uh, Kids shooting movie. militarized, like, cyborgs? Y- yeah, that... <laughs> It honestly made me laugh when it turned out, like, that the Enforcer was a rope. Yeah, yeah. Like, you really don't see it coming. He's just, like, some kind of, like, straw hat weirdo in, like, a flannel shirt and just takes bullet after bullet after bullet. And then he's just got sparks flying. And you're like, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. See, to me, it, like, it seemed like it was supposed to be, like, this big revelation. And I just was like, <laughs> like, he's just an animatronic. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Topeka's a weird place. You really just gotta watch the movie to experience what that's all about. It's definitely like, almost fever dreamy. Like, it, Topeka's, I think it's the most interesting part of the film. Other people think it's the slowest part of the film. I don't know why. I don't think any of this movie is particularly slow. It is dense, however. It is. There is a lot. It is very dense. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to take Uh in. Uh-huh. And you really got to wonder, like, how much artistic value is there in this? Because it is very avant-garde, in a sense. Um, in a way, yes. I don't think it necessarily belongs in the camp of avant-garde, but it definitely... It definitely, like, um, is one of the stranger film options out there. Like, it's it's definitely not, like, a, um... It's not a feel-good movie, but it's not, like, a, uh, totally, like, distraught movie. Right. It, like, it's not something that's... It's not something that's gonna fuck you up, but it's definitely something that's gonna make you go, Huh? Yeah, it, it's eccentric. It, it's eccentric, if nothing else. It, yeah, it definitely, and not necessarily in a bad way. Right. So, let's talk a little bit about you and the movie. Like, do you have a favorite part, or at least favorite part? Um, I'd have to say my favorite part of the movie, like I said, was the whole Topeka sequence. Like, I thought it was good, even though it raised some, uh, semen questions. Of course, yeah, the logistics are, uh, difficult (laughs) to work out. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a weird one. Like, I didn't, if I had to say, like, my least favorite scene, I don't know, like, I didn't have, like, a least favorite. Um, I think my least favorite part of the movie is, um, how polarizing it is like especially like politically like it definitely seems like they wanted to have some sort of politically charged statement here and it comes off you know in some ways more than others like definitely a very like uh sarcastic kind of thing when they say like you know like you were talking about like an alternate universe where kennedy was never assassinated and like a bunch of kennedys got elected presidents yeah. like it like they, they very much paint it like it's a bad thing that that happened well yeah the world is dead so that, that seems like a pretty negative way to put it oh yeah for sure but this is a fiction film and i'm not i'm not super into inserting your own political beliefs into a fictional film i think that it should stand on its well, own here's a question for you Zach. like i don't like um knowing that and the fact that it is based on a novel that was released like what six years after the kennedy assassination uh right. do you think the same rules that would apply to a fictional book that apply to a fictional movie no and i mean i'm not even trying to be on a soapbox here like i mean like politically charged thrillers and things are a thing i guess they're just not necessarily my thing or even like the opposite end of that is like super preachy like liberal shit i'm not super into that either right yeah it's kind of hard to tell exactly where this one lands but whatever it is they don't like it a lot i guess um that yeah i mean it's very it's it's definitely a very like 
negative movie. Like, th- nothing positive happens in this movie at Not all. Not at all. Except for the fact that apparently you can trade peaches for popcorn, which I think is a uh, a disgrace. I think that the trade value on that is very bad because you're not getting very much popcorn for what looks like a shit ton of peaches. Because remember, these are 1970s cans of peaches. Oh, yeah. Uh, this and... was like heyday for canned peaches. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like, that thing is fucking Filled. Right, it is just packed in there. Like, it's prostitution, porno, popcorn, peaches. The, the four Ps of the apocalypse. <laughs> the four Ps of the apocalypse, goddamn. Yeah, yeah. So, that being said, uh, clearly there is satire in this. I don't think we need to reiterate that so much, but I mean, in Topeka, the, like, white face thing going on, and, like, the speakers around, it's very 1984, you know, like, dystopia, and, like, there's a the dystopia oh, yeah. above and below, and you gotta wonder about, like, the whole, like, ads above, so below kind of thing that exists in art, and whether that has any kind of implication here. It's not clear. They do a really good job of hiding it if that's what they wanted to do, or they did a really poor job of conveying it if that's what they meant to do. You know what I mean? I think that they meant to, and they did kind of a shitty job of doing it, just, just because because, like, like I said, like, you, you get little tinges of, like, you know, some political stuff in there. And it just doesn't ever come off completely. It just kind of seems almost snarky in a way. Yeah, it is. Which, that might have been their intention as well. I, I really could not tell what the intention of this film was. It, it just kind of seemed like, a, like it's, it's a story about the apocalypse. It's a boy and his dog. Yeah, and that's really the whole thing is it's, like, flipping that whole, like, a boy and his dog trope on its head yeah like the boy needs the dog more than the dog needs the boy but also in the ending and i think that's where like the sweet like happiness comes from Mm -hmm. is that the dog does need the boy just as much as the boy needs the dog right exactly and that's kind of a, a, a beautiful thing about it i guess even though they are morally reprehensible and we'll we'll get there in a little bit so um the exploitative nature of these types of movies, like uh, I Spit on Your Grave, uh, Zombie Lake, like some other some weird movies from this time period, um, they are the pieces of the exploitative film are here. But I wouldn't call it an exploitation film. Um, where do you think this falls on the spectrum? Because I have a hard time placing it myself. I don't. <sighs> This has more B-movie potential to me than, um, exploitive. Like, because, like, you gotta remember, like, exploitive film definitely is more sexually charged. Like, while this movie does have some sexually charged moments, it's not necessarily, like, all about sex. But it, like, I think it takes some of, like, the the fun bits of exploitive film, but tells more of a narrative story to go around the exploitive parts which is kind of more of a modern thing to do where it's like you know yes there's nudity yes there's violence but it's never like over the top right and like exploitive film it's always going to be over the top it's going to be unrealistic not that this movie is realistic but like it does kind of like it stays in the realm of like as far as the sexuality and the violence goes it kind of stays within the realm of normality Agreed. Which is kind of odd for for a movie that is as wacky as this one is. And a movie that was, um, I believe on the poster it says something about a uh, kinky sci-fi adventure. Yeah, I think using the term kinky to describe this film is problematic and indicative of the times. Yeah, and it's, because it's not necessarily kinky. Like, there's nothing kinky going on. It's not like, you know, like the uh, the relationship between Vic and uh, Quilla June is necessarily kinky in any way. I guess other than maybe... Um, how do I put this lightly? Um, he was going to, uh, 
Reaper at first? Yes, of course. He's... Uh, Essentially... Yeah, that, that kind of brings us to where I wanted to go next, was, like, the reprehensible nature of Vic and Blood, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, Vic, from the get-go, is not a nice person. Um, Blood tells him he's not a nice person. But Blood facilitates that. Um, he's an enabler. Yeah, Blood is definitely an enabler. Um, so... I don't even know if we've mentioned this yet, and uh, if so, bad on us. Uh, the dog talks in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's, like, the major selling point, or that's, like, what people remember from the movie. Yeah, this is Ted before It Ted. is, like, yeah. It's... Th- th- this, this dog talks to Vic. It's like a buddy and, black comedy. Right. It, it It's just so weird. Like, I don't know. Like, no one is, like I've said many times while we've been talking about this movie, is nobody's a good person in this movie. Absolutely no one. Right. Like, there's no, like, redeemable behavior other than maybe partially the ending <laughs> where Blood and Vic realize how much they actually need each other. But then they also kill Quilla June and let Blood eat her. Yeah. So, they're not good guys. They're not, like... <sighs> what they do is bad. Vic is searching the apocalyptic landscape for food and sex. And that's all that these two are doing, and they're helping each other do it. So, the concept is very dark. It, it's not... It, it, there's nothing good about it, but despite that, I wasn't really able to find any information on controversy surrounding that. And I don't know if that was just the times, or if it just kind of got overlooked because the movie is so, like, oddball. I think it's because the movie's oddball. I think it's definitely, like, a uh, midnight circuit, like, uh... Like, this would be, like, the B-movie to, like, maybe another, like, horror, like, sci-fi movie. And it's definitely, like, a midnight movie. So, I I could see this getting played in Grindhouses, but this would be, like, family day at the Grindhouse Theater. Like, this is, this is, as far as other Grindhouse movies that came out during this era, this is pretty fucking tame. Yeah, I would agree. I I don't even know if I would go so far as to call it Grindhouse. I mean, it's no Cannibal Holocaust. You know, like, it's it's nothing like that. It's not that extreme by any stretch. But, I mean, it... Despite the fact that it has these elements in it and that it is so aggressively bad at its core, it um, it doesn't seem to have a legacy that's, like, tainted by that. It, it has, like, a 6.5 on IMDb and a Rotten Tomato score of 76%, which is really high, considering. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a bad movie, and I think it definitely paves the way for, you know, like, The Hunger Games or something like that. Like, it... Like, because post-apocalyptic was a big thing in, like, the 70s and early 80s because of the Cold War, and now it's a big thing because of what's going on in the world right now. Like, everything is so topsy-turvy, everything is so evil, you know, like, media is evil, like, the, the governments are evil. And, you know, so I guess when there's, like, political unrest is when people start thinking about this because they start thinking about the end of the world. Oh, absolutely. And uh, like we said earlier, this does have some implications in today's pop culture. Um, The Fallout game series, for instance, is heavily reliant on things that are established by this movie, and it's been openly said before that even in the game, you can get like a companion character called, I think, Dog Meat, which is literally just a dog that mm-hmm. follows you around that dog is based on blood like that that character trope is from this movie yeah he actually call vic actually calls blood dog meat at some point i think he calls him tiger oh he he also does that but he does call him dog meat because i picked up on it immediately oh okay so they're both in there then yeah because that was going to be another thing i was going to talk about was that he he calls him tiger at the end and in doing that that is the the dog's name like the acting dog his name is tiger and he's also the dog from the brady bunch 
which is crazy. I, I thought I recognized the dog, but like that dog has been at two very different properties. Yeah, to say the least. Um, also, the movie that was playing, the porno movie we mentioned earlier that was playing in like the little trade outpost is a movie called Fist Full of Raw. Yeah, that's, that's a real movie. it is a movie. real film. Yeah. It's a real film released in 1970 uh, featuring small time actress Patricia Moore. Yeah, so there's not a lot of information on that film. I don't even know where you could find it if you really wanted to because I'm pretty sure the rest of the movie just looks the way that it did in this movie. So I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's funny to me that they got a real movie i would be interested to know what the licensing agreements looked like for that um most like pornography like early like you know hardcore pornography quote unquote end quote it's um it wasn't copyrighted very well because no one wanted anything to do with it uh like they would take these to adult movie theaters and just sell them by the like just they would go with like two theaters and sell the film reels just as themselves like no copyright like they didn't get it through a distributor this was purely like a uh, just kind of handing it around so, kind of thing. Right. So that means it's just kind of like a Wild West. Like, nobody really wants to acknowledge that this exists, so we're not really going to regulate it all that much. Well, it's more like they don't want to get shut down by the government. I see. I see. Uh, yeah. Which makes sense. Even, like, again, going back to Grindhouse and, like, how censorship and grindhouse have like a weird relationship i i'm sure you have tons of opinions on that knowing how you are with censorship but yeah i i i would rather save that for a time where we're talking about an actual grindhouse film yeah but um if you're ever interested in that there is a movie on amazon prime uh called grindhouse usa it's a documentary about Grindhouse, an exploitation film. Uh, it's pretty good. Watch it. Yeah. If you want if you want any good information on Grindhouse, it's a great one. I'm going to have to get into that because this is not the first time I've heard you bring it up. And I'm interested. Like, this has rekindled my interest in this type of movie. Because I, I the first time I watched this was, like, 2014, 2015, maybe. Like, it was a while back. And um, this was kind of a foray into exploring this side of film. And this is why, I guess, I have so many of them to talk about. But it, it's a fun movie. It's pretty good. Right. Uh, believe it or not, one of the things that I didn't know until I was doing the research for this episode was that the official trailer is like a shot-for-shot, shot, like, reproduction of Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange trailer, which was released in the same year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely go watch these side-by-side. Side. It, it's... <laughs> it is uncanny. It's horrible. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. Like, they did it on purpose. Like, they pretty much admitted that they did this on purpose. Yeah, so... It... <sighs> Is it supposed to be, like, uh, satire, or is it supposed to be artistic, or is it just like a, oh yeah, hey, hey, uh, Kubrick did it, let's, uh, let, let, let's cash in on that? I think it was that. I think the studio was like, okay, we could probably market this to the same people that would go see something like Clockwork Orange, which is a much more complicated and, um, dirty film than this one. Still haven't seen it. <laughs> we're gonna get there we're gonna get there it, it's that'll be a heavy hitter that's one of my favorite movies it, it is a very complicated movie just like this one mm. um but yeah so it's uncanny like you know check it out watch them side by side especially if you're a fan of both of these films and did not know this uh it's it's pretty weird it is and uh i, I actually found something interesting um and i guess this will pretty much close out the night um ray mazernak uh the keyboardist at the doors did the music in this film but he is improperly credited as Ray Mazamak. Huh. Wow. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so not only was he in the doors and he deserves some fucking respect you need to put some respect on this man's name you misspelled his fucking name in the credits and it's like forever going to be that way like they can't change it because it's not worth it <laughs> What? Where does this come from? Is this just a lack of attention to detail and an inability to change it after the fact, or did they just not catch it until it was already distributed? They didn't catch it until it was already distributed. I just like and 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 a a small release like this one is not worth like sending out new reels to fix it. I like so they just kind of left it and probably gave him a little extra money like as a hey sorry we're fucked I, I just you know what I, he doesn't need the help I don't think but I'm glad that maybe no. they made it right somehow I, I would like to think that they did because if someone did that to me after I worked really hard making music for this you know really weird uh, kitschy film I, I would want to be compensated in some way if they fucked it up for me especially if I'm putting my neck out and my good name to make the music for this thing god I just I hope that he enjoyed the film as much as I did and I hope that you enjoyed the film almost as much as I did I I enjoyed seeing uh, what you enjoy that it, it was it was fun to get inside your brain for a little bit there John all right well this is one of four movies that we're gonna do this month and uh, if you thought this was weird things are about to get really weird so you hang on there Zach uh, we're gonna have some fun times this month and uh, I hope you bring your cocktail next week and uh, I'm really excited for what we've got in store I'm super stoked uh, if this is just the beginning of the weird I know it's gonna get even weirder so for four year information we'll see you next week watch a new movie I'm Zach and I'm John see you later guys The movies that are released later get re- later. Bleh, at a point. The movies that get released. B- fuck. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Um, the movies that get released late. Oh fuck. Pepperidge Farm releases. Okay. <laughs> Pepperidge Farm releases. Um. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever had like just one nut itch, but not the other? Um. I don't think so. I mean, I've had, like, spots on my scrot that itch a little bit, but it's in, like, an isolated spot. So, like, you gotta go get it. Like, the pinch and roll method usually works. Sometimes you gotta do the uh, the wrap, you know, where you stretch it out flat and then just go to town on the one spot. You know, like... Or, like, the best thing is when it happens when you're in the shower and then you can take either your washcloth or your loofah and just really get in there. That usually works the best because you're cleaning it and s- scratching the shit out of it at the same time. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, you ever wonder how, like, the development of the body and some things have stuck around and some things haven't and that stuck around? Yeah, like, why do I have an appendix but my balls itch? Yeah, like, I, I just, like, what? what is that? Like, why? Like, wisdom teeth. Okay, there's another one. Like, is there a practical reason for wisdom teeth? Uh Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But I mean, I got all this extra skin around my nutsack, so sure, why not? Yeah, why can't, like, the balls just be interior? Because, like, balls are so, like, like, they're terrifying to look at, especially, like, if someone's got, like, a like a big sack. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it, it's distracting. It's, like, you like no matter how big the dick is, you can't not look at the balls. It's, like, uh, one of those, like you know grocery bags that you put like um like produce in you know like the really thin like soft bags Mm -hmm. it's like one of those with two lemons in it 
and it just hangs like a lot you know when you have like a really big one or like a really like extended one because like it moves around when it gets too hot so when it gets cold it goes back up and when it gets hot it goes back down but like is that really the best way that we could figure out how to regulate the temperature all I know is that I believe uh, the prophet Lil Wayne said it the best. Uh, my nuts hang like ain't no curfew. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right.